Welcome to Optimal Health for Busy Entrepreneurs, the podcast for busy and high-performing entrepreneurs and leaders who are looking to create more energy and optimize their health while upgrading their brain and personal performance with precision. I am your host, Julian Hayes II. I've been involved with health and performance for over a decade. This podcast was created for the high performer who is unapologetically ambitious, the one who moves at a fast pace and operates with an edge, the one who wants to become superhuman. Nothing here is fluff, gimmicky, or feel good. I have little to no interest in simply helping you improve your life. I want to help transform it. By listening to this podcast, expect to have a body that feels just as good as it looks. Expect to possess a swagger and style that gives off an infectious vibe. Expect to command the stage or any boardroom you walk into with your executive presence. And lastly, expect to become your most enhanced self so you can live a limitless life. Now, let's get to the show. So welcome everyone to another episode of Optimal Health for Busy Entrepreneurs. I am your host, Julian Hayes II, and today we have a very first topic that we are talking about on the podcast here, and we were talking about relationships, love, and the intricacies of relationships when it comes to being a high net worth individual, a successful entrepreneur, and I couldn't think of anyone better to reach out to than Amy Anderson, who is the Cupid of Silicon Valley, which is an awesome nickname, <laughs> I must say. And um, she's the founder and CEO of Lynx Dating, which is an exclusive and private dating and social network for the high caliber relationship minded global professional. So I don't want to spill too much. So without further ado, Amy, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm great, Julian. Thank you so much for having me be here. I'm just delighted that you reached out and so excited and jazzed to chat with you today about dating, dating during COVID times, and being an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into that as well. So the first thing is, um, I always like to go to the past. So what are one to two lessons from your childhood that made a major impact into who you are today? Oh, gosh. Well, I'd say one to two lessons I had um, as a kid was definitely just when you have a fire in your belly to pursue that. I remember being a very little girl living in Texas. Um, I was living in Dallas at the time with my family and wanting to do cookie stands and sell cookies and lemonade. And then one day I got an idea to pick my neighbor's flowers literally walk on their property, cut beautiful roses and irises and repackage them and sell them back to them and knock on their door. And my parents were horrified, but I was like, what? It's, you know, it's repackaged. It's a beautiful bouquet. I can make a few bucks doing it. So I think just being creative, stepping outside of sometimes your comfort zone was for me a, a, a great lesson as a budding entrepreneur when I was six years old. Um, and definitely something that has stuck with me um, to this day, for sure. Yeah, I was getting ready to say that you got your entrepreneur your entrepreneurial roots started very early. Yes, for sure. So, uh, you know, um, 
I, I watched a few videos before we got on here and it's like you said, you're finding, you're searching in the, a needle in a haystack for a lot of your clients. A lot of times, these are very yeah. successful individuals who pretty have pretty demanding lifestyles. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just curious, uh, what are some of the more extreme measures that someone may quote unquote say you've done to match them with their perfect client or with their perfect partner? Sure, sure. Well, you need to understand that when my clients come to me, I mean, these are highly you know, educated, very successful men and women in Silicon Valley and beyond. And they have had so much success in their professional career that they sit on my couch and tell me they, they really want to see that same success matched over to their personal life. And their bar is extremely high for what they're looking for, like crazy high. And often I realize that what they're looking for is not necessarily in my database of current clients or people that I know. So there's been times where I've had to get extremely creative with having to really think about how to find the right match who is out of my network, out of my database. Um, one, uh, one individual in particular who was part of the royal family in Dubai, um, of all places, I mean, just crazy, um, had a very particular type of woman he was looking for who was a graduate of Stanford University or maybe a current student at Stanford. You know, he wasn't really entirely sure, but knew she had to be at Stanford or associated there. Um, so one thing I did, I literally parked myself on campus and was chasing after different college students. Um, they thought I was a complete nut job. But for me, I mean, that's entrepreneurship. That is the the nitty and grittiness of what you have to do sometimes to make it work. Um, you know, I didn't end up finding his match that way, but it was one of the many methods that I used to just put myself out there and, you know, see what would happen. And, and that's the thing with entrepreneurship. You never know unless you try. Right. So it's really important, I think, to sometimes take those little little risks and sometimes bigger risks. And unless you do that, you're you're never gonna know if anything works, right? Yeah. Why Stanford? I'm I'm curious, why not Berkeley? Um, uh, just a college kind of school snob that way. You know, I mean, some of my clients that attended certain schools, certain kind of pedigreed schools. Mm -hmm. Um, are very particular about meeting a like-minded match who attended a similar school, if not the same school. Mm -hmm. So that was his thing. You know, everybody has their thing when they meet me. Sometimes it's the way somebody looks. Sometimes it's their personality, more introverted, more extroverted. Sometimes it's religious-based. So that was just his thing. And I had to respect that and, you know, just put myself out there on the campus and try. So yeah, it was just, it's, it's unusual. Okay. I'll give you that. It was <laughs> well, I, I do, I do say that's, that's positive though for anyone listening out there who thinks they have this very quirky thing that is an absolute must in their life. Right. You know, I think you can keep it. I think this is a, a great example of that. Oh, so, sure. yeah. For so sure. I, I like sure. that. So you mentioned that you mentioned, you mentioned risk and I think it had to be some type of risk for you to jump from being a financial advisor, which is what you previously were, to becoming now th- this global matchmaker. Um, mm-hmm. What led to kind of that transition? 
Sure. Well, I had really seen an opportunity when I was initially living in Silicon Valley in California, right in the high tech, you know, capital of the world back in 2000 timeframe. And that is where I saw something in front of me as a young entrepreneur. I was about 20, maybe 23, 22, 23 years old at the time and saw something incredible um, where it was all single men, tons of single guys, you know, a lot of Stanford grads or Berkeley grads, um, a lot of entrepreneurs and just the vibrancy of the valley, um, which just, just amazed me. I was so enthralled by it. I loved being here. Um, but I saw an opportunity where there's a lot of single dudes, basically, and a shortage of women. And I saw something very similar in San Francisco with a lot of my female friends that were very single very much struggling, trying to identify where good guys would be for commitment, for marriage, for building a family one day. And that was my moment. That was kind of my aha moment where I said, there's something here. So as a young entrepreneur, I did a ton of research and realized that I had an idea, but it was way too early to start it. Um, uh, you know, even before I had a business plan or anything like that. So I got an opportunity in finance, um, which was a lovely, you know, for me, a lovely opportunity. It was a way to, you know, get some training. Um, it was a lot of sales training. So I got really comfortable where I was doing a ton of cold calling in private client services, which is basically kind of you know, what we did. My, my small team, we represented some high net worth individuals, um, their financial portfolio portfolios, but my job was to try to get more of those people to build more kind of, of a team of those types of individuals. So, um, I realized when I was working there, gosh, I'm getting great training. This is a wonderful experience. I'm saving my money, which was very important. Um, but am I happy? No, I was not happy. And I would go home at night and basically kind of burn the midnight oil by working on my business plan and figuring out how can I get out of this job that is a cushy job, but I'm not, a, I'm not happy doing this job in finance. And so I work on my business plan and I started pulling all of my friends because in order to become a matchmaker, you have to have a network. You need a network of people who could potentially be your client. And I knew that I had to ask those friends, if I do this, if I start this, you know, do you know people that you can refer me to that, you know, potentially could be my customers, right? So um, I started asking so many people that I had met, um, you know, just in my own networking days in San Francisco, I would attend a lot of tech events and just meet people, always pass out business cards, always be friendly, always shake hands and, you know, just strike up conversations. Um, and so back then, all these people across a wide range of industries were like, Yes, you know, follow your dreams. We will refer you people. Uh, and the single people I was asking were like, shut up about this thing and just start it already because <laughs> I will become a client. So that was kind of the answer I think I needed where I walked into my boss's office in finance and he was such a, such a wonderful human being and just so patient with me too, as he tried to educate me about, you know, the different financial markets, which honestly, I was so not interested in. That was not my passion. That was not my calling. Right. Um, and I said, you know, 
Mr. So-and-so, I, uh, you know, I'm going to quit. I'm going to become a professional matchmaker. And I think his head just chopped off in that moment and, you know, spun down the street, like in shock. Um, but he was supportive and was like, good luck. Um, and so that was kind of my moment where I knew, okay, this is it. Like now I'm going to truly follow my dream. And there was a lot of steps involved with, with, uh, with the process, which I'm happy to share with you. Um, but I think, you know, for anybody listening, you need to be very clear, have that clarity about what you're going to do, have done a lot of prior research about the industry that you're about to merge into, understand the market, the opportunity, the competition is really important. There's entrepreneurs that say, oh, yes, there's no competition in my market. That's not true. There's always going to be some sort of competition, whether it's indirect or direct competition, the big fish, the little fish, you got to understand. And those, those are not necessarily bad people. They've validated the industry to begin with. So you got to have that clarity in that clear frame of mind before you kind of hit go when you start whatever you're about to begin. Um, but I got to say that day when I quit was the one of really, there's a few best decisions I've ever made in my life. And that was definitely one of them. And I have never looked back from that moment. Never. Yeah, I, I love a all that of what you said, especially about studying your market and knowing, knowing who pretty much you're going to serve. And that's one thing I didn't do initially was I, I wanted to save the world. And, and so um, I quickly learned that lesson. But um, so did you always know that you were going to work with like influential venture capitalists, investors, celebrities, royalty? Did you always have that in mind? Because I see a lot of, of matchmakers, but yeah. they're not as precise as I, you seem to be. No, I definitely did not. So to backtrack, I knew I was always going to be an entrepreneur. I think growing up, when I was thinking about doing this podcast today, I was like, gosh, what should I say that would be interesting? But I think one of the <laughs> things was I knew that I was always a little bit different, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. um, where I was very comfortable doing my own thing. And um, I was very comfortable taking those mitigated kind of calculated risks in life. Um, and so it seemed natural to me to start my company. It wasn't something that I was necessarily afraid of. It felt like this is a natural step in my progression of you know, being a professional woman out there. Um, but to answer your question, um, when I started, and this is something really important that I'm excited to share. Um, when I started, I knew that I had to start very small on a very micro level, focused only on San Francisco in Silicon Valley. That was my original um, premise, was matching the women in San Francisco to the men in Silicon Valley, bridging that gap, and therefore creating opportunities for those two respective demographics from a matchmaking perspective. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs initially focus on expansion, on global. I, I was not there for many years, frankly, a decade. I was focused on how can I gain market share locally in the Bay Area and maintain an incredible reputation doing it 
run a scrupulous business, you know, meticulous, scrupulous, um, you know, very, very detail oriented and validate my concept locally on a small level. Um, Once I did that and gained that attention and respect and started to actually do a good job with the matchmaking, which is a whole other, you know, side of this. It's like, first I had to build the network. And then once I reached that tipping point, then I could start the matches. But hopefully I did a good job doing that, which took time to kind of learn how to do that. Um, Then I gained the attention of a broader demographic, broader being, you know, some celebrities in Los Angeles and then, you know, politicians on the East Coast and then global where I was getting, you know, pings and inquiries from all over the world, Africa, Europe, Asia, the Middle East. And I was like, this is amazing. But that took a really long time. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's not easy. I think that is perseverance that is sticking to your guns. And there's always going to be naysayers when you start your business, no matter what people say, no, somebody's Mm -hmm. already done that or don't bother, or why are you doing that? Or that seems silly, or there's plenty of dating apps or websites or whatnot, but sticking to your guns because you got that fire in your belly and, and, and really kind of being like a horse with horse blinders on, you know, how horses wear those in competitions. Um, so they don't get distracted. That's the key is just focusing. And once you do that and you pour your all into whatever you're going to do and validate your concept Get that kind of proof of concept, as they call it, I, you know, in, in uh, business school, which I did not go to, by the way. Um, that's when you can start to gain that traction outside of your local market and that, uh, you know, people from all over will start to take notice of you. But that that's going to take time. Yeah, it, it's um, I think we're very concerned or obsessed now it seems with scale 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 mm-hmm. a lot of times now instead of just starting micro before going macro exactly exactly and that's the funny thing too with scalability mm-hmm. in silicon valley everybody asks that question you know even when uh, you know venture capital big shot comes into my office or something you know and just kind of out of curiosity asked me you know later in the in our conversation um, when we're not talking about him or her uh, with respect to their matchmaking, well, how are you going to scale? What's your what's your scalability, you know, strategy? And I look at them, I'm like, I have no idea. Uh, you know, I'm, I still feel I've been doing this now 17 years. I still feel there's so many people, even locally in the Bay Area, where I just I I've only scratched the surface. There's so many more people, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the thing too. I think people that worry about scaling or something like that, just start local and build a great business doing whatever you're doing in in whatever respective industry, gain the respect of your audience and then worry about that question. Yeah. So what do you, what are um, a few insights about that listeners maybe go about building their network, especially if they're trying to run like a concierge service like yourself? What do you, what do you think about going about building that initial network? Well, that is a tough one. So, um, I mean, right now in 2020, I think it makes it a bit more challenging 
um, just due to kind of running or starting a business during COVID-19, which is not easy for anybody, okay? So I think you need to think about, um, you know, the advice I would give would be start with kind of your childhood network and then merge that into, if you attended college, university, um, start with that network, um, kind of bridge that into kind of the, the university or college network. Um, certainly, if you did postgraduate studies, that's amazing. Then focus on that particular network and tap those people. Those people are an invaluable resource, not only to deliver feedback, but to ultimately kind of be supportive of your concept and your dreams um, to see, you know, if they potentially could be your customer or you know, if they can refer you to people um, that you might not even be thinking about as potential customers or, uh, you know, potential business partners or something like that. So that would be my advice because you need to kind of start with a network. For me, one of the networks I started with, I had been doing a lot of volunteer work when I was living in San Francisco through a woman's organization called the Junior League. It's a national organization which promotes volunteerism um, and supports underserved communities all throughout the nation. Um, I think it's comprised of probably 100,000 plus women that do volunteer work. I'm in all major cities. So um, after I graduated college, that was one of my decisions I made was just kind of a a project I would take on, just not only to um, better serve the San Francisco community and get out there through outreach and volunteerism, um, but also to network and meet other women that were like me that might be my age, that might be aspiring entrepreneurs, or just frankly, like-minded women who like to help communities and volunteer. Mm -hmm. That was a really important platform from the standpoint of um, just creating connections. And there was, again, this is obviously outside of COVID, but there was a lot of different opportunities like social mixers. So again, collecting business cards and Um, people's contact information and attending all the networking and mixer events I could where, um, you know, I just started meeting people and those contacts for me from that experience of, you know, volunteering were really, really valuable. So that would be my advice, starting with kind of college networks or, you know, friend communities from kind of growing up as a kid um, and getting out there in the community and volunteering. You can meet some really fantastic people that way as you start to build your network. But for concierge, um, I would think, again, kind of the challenges of COVID aside, Mm-hmm. Going to different, it depends on the type of concierge, but going to different hotels, like top, you know, um, you know, five-star hotels in your city and um, asking to take a meeting with the manager or with, you know, the general manager or kind of hotel concierge um, and, and tapping them for advice as well. You know, often a lot of, a lot of professionals um, feel very honored to, I would think, take meetings with entrepreneurs, um, just asking kind of how they, how they got into their line of work. Right. So that would be my idea.
Um, so now let's jump into your company links and let's um, let's what's the what's the what's the process like there? Um, it's music to my ears because I, I don't like sliding in DMs or, or a lot of the online dating stuff. So um, what's like the typical process for a client there? Well, the typical process is for starters, I don't advertise. So that has always been one of my mantras of no advertising and really referral based. So word of mouth, kind of viral marketing, girls night out or guys kind of chatting in the locker room, that sort of thing where people hear about my company through word of mouth. So typically what happens is a client or a former client or a friend of mine or just some sort of colleague in, uh, you know, in, in Silicon Valley will refer in a friend of theirs who's single. Maybe it's somebody who's gone through a divorce or is going through a divorce, or maybe it's a buddy who, you know, is really to your point, been struggling with the dating apps or just is saying, I am not going to do match.com. That's just not my cup of tea. So that's when I get a referral into my inbox and From there, I take that individual through a series of some screening questions. The screening questions, kind of the purpose is to make sure that that individual from a baseline perspective really adheres to the overarching standards that are really my company. So um, age-wise, like an appropriate age that, you know, somebody would be marriage-minded. You know, somebody that is educated, um, I'm not particular about certain schools or anything like that. And guess what? There's been outliers who were college dropouts or chose not to attend college um, because they pursued a different path. I like that, but I want to hear their story that led them to that path, whatever that path is. So those questions are really background questions as I get to know that person. And, um, and then once they submit their information, that's when I have really um, kind of uh, refined my process where instead of having to kind of verbally share everything about the differentiating points of my business and the mechanics and logistics of how I actually do the matches, I have um, created a really beautiful kind of templated email that I send that prospect. I have done that as a small business owner to save time because way back when I used to do phone calls with prospects um, and I don't do that anymore. It seems kind of strange probably listening to that, that gosh, she doesn't take phone calls with prospects, but I actually don't because um, I have fine-tuned my process because my time is really valuable. Um, Just like my typical client's time is super valuable. So I used to way, way, way back then I would do phone calls where, you know, I would on any day have maybe 10 phone calls, but those took about an hour and 30 minutes each, which meant my God, at the end of the day, my voice was so hoarse. Like I couldn't even talk anymore. I was exhausted too emotionally. I wasn't even taking care of myself. I was just like a, so, so tired, like a headless chicken. Then I fine tuned my process where I was doing videos I had recorded some videos through some sort of technology. I forget. Um, This is kind of circa, I would say, 2006, 2007, maybe 2008. I would send prospects those videos so they could learn about my company. Again, so I'm trying to be smart about like, gosh, how can I save time so I don't have to chat for 10 hours with these different prospects? Um, And then now I do templated emails. So that prospect now, as my process is fine-tuned and I've crafted my process and refined it, 
they get that email. And then if somebody's interested, they've read through everything, they're understanding the mechanics of how links works um, in terms of the matchmaking and so forth, then I send them an ideal match document. That's important because I need a, I need some clarity into what they're looking for for a match. Do they send it back where they, you know, what they're looking for is basically, you know, an alien that doesn't exist, you know, in, in our, in our planet earth, or is it somebody that's actually, you know, real and plausible and obtainable? Is their criteria realistic? If that's the case, then typically depending on the route that that prospect would be taking, there's two routes. Either somebody goes into a route where they know they want to be a premium client, and that means they simply are going to pay me for my services. Therefore, they're going to get a guarantee of matches. Or the alternative route is it's free for them, and they simply join my database as vetted inventory. So if they know that they're going to go down the premium route, I send them an invitation to meet with me. I charge for my time. Um, that can push people back. They can say, oh my gosh, I'm not going to pay your fees. Well, I have my answer because that individual um, probably does not see the inherent value of what I'm offering. But frankly, if they can't commit to a meeting with me for whatever their reason, they're not going to commit to one of the people that I'm trying to match them to. So there's kind of a method to my madness And this has all been something that's been incredibly fine-tuned over the years as I have learned best practices of what works and doesn't work. Yeah. So let's, with your clients and just in general, to be such high-performing individuals, uh, why do you think, what are some common, what are some struggles that these high net worth, these high-performing individuals have when it comes to dating? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, a demographic that I see more and more of are individuals who are late 40s, 50s that are coming out of a significantly long marriage, and they're now emerging into the dating scene as a divorcee. And the challenge of that high net worth, highly educated individuals, OMG, the dating scene has changed so much since they were first single. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they were probably single 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And back then, things were really different. The social landscape of dating was incredibly different. Our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, night and day compared to where it's at now. So that individual, all of a sudden, you know, closes one chapter, enters a new chapter of their life, and they're terrified. Not only, uh, you know, I would say high profile, but frankly, not even high profile individuals. You know, the idea of having to become a public persona vis-a-vis a a dating app is really daunting. It seems icky and and kind of like, oh gosh, do I have to do this? seems kind of like, let me take a shower right now. That's like, ooh, just yucky. So they don't want to have to do that. They're scared. They don't want their friends to see them on there or, you know, their kids, um, you know, kids, parents that are single as well. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. So I think that is something I see a fair amount of, of just that demographic kind of merging into 
the dating scene now where they're trying to kind of figure it out. And I'm there to help them not only build confidence in them, but let them know that it's going to be okay and give them some skills and advice and a strategic plan around how to date in this new environment. Now you stack another layer of challenge for that client dating during COVID. Uh, That's a whole other beast that I help them with. Yeah. So what are some, I guess, what are some of the struggles now with with COVID? Mm. Well, it's become a very polarizing time, especially, you know, with the election right around the corner. Do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? And do you meet or do you not meet? Um, and I think when COVID started, you know, March, April, May, my, I'd say the lion's share of my clients were very nervous about getting out there. At least in California, I was seeing a lot of my clients just being very apprehensive about dating and meeting in fear that, you know, the virus was incredibly unknown and very, very scary and, and not knowing what could happen. So a lot of people kind of put their accounts on freeze and wanted to just focus on their families or, you know, just trying to push through just those very uncertain times. Now, I think that we've settled into this quote unquote new normal where people are like, oh my gosh, like this thing might never end. Um, <laughs> you know, oh gosh, I hope it does. But you know what I'm saying? People yeah. are settled into this new life that um, they're realizing, okay, I am not only lonely and COVID like being cooped up in my home has reinforced how alone I am and the struggle with that um, and really kind of made them even more vulnerable, but it's, it's made them want to connect with a human being even more. It's been very interesting, you know, to answer your question, it's been very interesting where truthfully, everybody's been very different. I have one client who's extraordinarily conservative, um, still wants to meet women, but only does dates vis-a-vis Zoom or FaceTime. Um, you know, he and his roommates have you know, just a hyper-conservative policy where, you know, it probably would take about maybe 10 to 15 Zooms with one woman to then really make sure they share the same kind of COVID policy, if you will, um, where they would get tested together and then be able to meet in person. Um, that's an extreme case. Other clients are meeting, but the interesting thing is just seeing how kind of polarizing it is. For instance, one of the couples that I matched, you know, they had a picnic at the park and he chose to very, you know, freely, liberally take his mask off, kind of throw it on the ground. And she maintained wearing a mask at, at, you know, the entire date. And she didn't like that he took his mask off, kind of almost without permission. And he didn't like that she was so conservative, if you will, and, you know, kind of maybe in his eyes, uptight. So you see different personalities come out. And also, I think it just kind of brings into kind of question on either people agreeing from a political standpoint um, about the election and who's running and so forth. Because you see you see that dynamic come out. It's just such a charged time anyway in the nation. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's very, I think it's very hard. I I encourage my clients to try to connect in person 
I don't give them any advice other than please be safe and keep a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have seen some couples emerge out of COVID-19, which has been very cool. I think the the new normal, if you will, has been getting tested. You get your STD test and then now you get your COVID test. So it's just, you know, it's that added layer of testing, which is crazy, but they feel safer that way. Um, and then just maintain a very similar stance when it comes to COVID safety. Yeah, this is the world we live in now. It's yep. it's even if you're not really in interested in following along with the news and everything, it still affects everyone's day-to-day life now because it's, 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 it's top of mind. So that's, um, yeah, I didn't even think about that, you know, mask or not mask are so politicized right now. Yes, Yes, it really is. And, And I didn't think about that either until I got feedback where, uh, you know, they both were kind of mentioning that and I just realized, okay, maybe that wasn't one of my better matches, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but then they, you know, they didn't work out, but, um, it, it's just, it's, you know, I think everybody, you know, we are all learning every day, new, new news, new evidence, no new information. Um, we are just kind of stacking that, um, you know, in our, in our brains, just as we kind of get even more comfortable day to day with just the environment and Mm -hmm. where everything's going, but it has been challenging for sure. I don't think it will last forever. Hopefully I don't, I don't, I hope this new normal is not really the new normal, but you know, that's another story, but um, yeah, that's very interesting. So as we get ready to wrap this up here, let's do a few of the, I used to call this segment rapid fire and then I I guess a guest said that these are not so rapid fire. And so she said it in a joking way. And then I, so I'm just going to call this the random question round. So the, the first one is what are two to three books that have had a major impact on your life? Oh my gosh. Well, I love all sorts of kind of relationship books. Um, there's a book, it's kind of an inappropriate title, but it's called Why Men Love Bitches. Um, it's really about women not being doormats and being strong and empowered and speaking their mind, yet maintaining their femininity. So um, so that's a really great book that I love. Um, but I love, you know, all sorts of authors, um, you know, so many different authors like California-based writers like Steinbeck, I love, um, and all genres of books. I mean, the reality is I read kind of more, I'd say, business books, um, a lot of business books and a lot of relationship books. Um, mm-hmm. When I have the time actually to read um, and listen to a ton of podcasts. And what's what's your go-to way to take care of your personal health? What's one of your must-haves? Yeah, I think that's such an important question um, for any entrepreneur, but a major one is uh, always consistently working out. So um, my every day kind of go to is getting a run in in the morning. It is my, it is my peace of mind. It is my sanity check. It is my time away from everybody, my family that I love, but just that escapism, my clients, just everything. So I listen to my music. I'm hitting the pavement. I love it. Um, so I do that consistently rain or shine, no matter what, um, even if there's an earthquake or when there was the crazy California fires, I'm masks on and I'm going out there Monday through Friday religiously. 
Um, but also diet, I think is important for me. Um, I have learned like intermittent fasting works very well for me. Um, just kind of the way that, you know, as I age and my body probably changes and so forth, um, just really taking care of myself and my body um, through nutrition, hydration, when I eat, what I eat, enough sleep as well. Um, I'd say those are really, really important ones. And during the work week, I always try to not drink any alcohol. And then my weekends are like my time where it's, it's really about balance. It's family. If I want to indulge in that yummy Sunday or some fabulous ribs or something like that, or a bottle of wine, like I'm doing that and it feels fine because I worked really hard during the week. I like that. So the next one is pretend you have a bottle of wine and you can have three people join you at the table for a conversation. And these three people can be anyone dead or alive throughout history. Who would you invite? And it has to exclude family. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Um, gosh. Well, I would say, huh. Okay. I really kind of have to think here. So I would love to meet Oprah. I think that that would be just so, so incredible um, to have a conversation with her and all the, all the amazing things she does and she's done. I'd say Jane Fonda, just mm -hmm. kind of for women's, uh, the women's movement, and she's such an incredible actress. And then I would love to meet Obama as well. All right. So I think that kind of that group of people over dinner, I mean, the conversation would last hours. It will. You may need a few bottles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so the last question here is someone comes up to you, they tap you on the shoulder, they do it freely. This whole mass stuff is done. We're back to normal. And they asked you, Amy, what are three things that I can do today to start becoming a superhuman entrepreneur? What would you tell them? Three things to become a superhuman entrepreneur. Follow your dreams. Always believe in yourself no matter what, because you are the one controlling your destiny and always, no matter what, maintain your integrity. I like that. And Amy, where can listeners find out more about you and your company? Sure. I would love for you all to check out my website, which is www.linksdating.com. That's L-I-N-X-D-A-T. ING.com. And you can also email me at amy at linksdating.com. I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me, Amy. This has been a, an awesome conversation. So, Thank you so much for the opportunity and, and for reaching out. I appreciate that. All right, everyone. Stay awesome and be limitless. Peace.
Thank you.